Especially of an animal in a wild state after escape from captivity or domestication. Alcatraz, Arab Spring, one billion rising. Freedom schools, the Maroons, rebellion thriving. We've been rising since the dawn of creation. Sun in the blood of our veins, liberation runs. Welcome to Feral Visions, a decolonial feminist podcast brought to you by Liberation Spring. I'm your host, Anjali Nathupadia. We begin with a content note or trigger warning. Here at Feral Visions, we go deep, and that often means courageously addressing white supremacist, imperialist, heteropatriarchal, capitalist, settler, colonial violence in order to support healing and transformation. Bypassing isn't an option. The only way is through. The time for denial is over, and today's a great day to keep it real. Amidst the show's focus on unapologetic truth-telling, then, please practice excellent self and community care while listening. What if the least reliable people about spirituality are those who call themselves spiritual? I was bitten by a brown recluse and a black widow, both when I was less than a year old. These are the two most venomous spiders on Turtle Island. According to National Geographic, quote, Black widows are considered the most venomous spider in North America. Their venom is reported to be 15 times stronger than a rattlesnake's, end quote. Some of y'all have seen the hardened chunk of venom in my cheek ever since. Now, that's really intense and exceptional. How to understand this? I'll tell you what's easily been the most common refrain I've heard in my life from New Agers. Could be white, could be BIPOC, across the board. They say, oh, you carry spider medicine, obviously. Yet none of those folks, sometimes a little adjacent to BIPOC hippies or to BIPOC New Agers, ever brought up the possibility of neglect. Like, wait a minute, why were you, when you were a baby of less than one year old, laid down somewhere multiple times where there were black widows and brown recluses? What's up with that? So the route interpretation among new cagers has been mystical, maybe true, although something they couldn't verify. Yet they've been 100% completely oblivious over the course of my entire life to a super plausible, verifiable concern, that of childhood neglect. That's a horrifying omission. 
What's up with that? Or, in another instance, I could tell the story about a man of color I was talking with a few years ago. He was admittedly new to the realm of considering spirituality and had just been talking with a white woman new cager about synchronicity. And he felt like he understood what she had communicated to him. He excitedly looked to two matching coasters in his home, like what you set glasses on, and said, look, they match, as if he had just unlocked some magical serendipity, and he worked in STEM. So how are people who seem to know how to think and be sensible in certain parts of their lives able to completely shut down any thoughtfulness when it comes to the realm of spirituality, how have these new cage lies made spirituality a space in the settler colonial US for sure that's so horrifically anti-intellectual? Let's break it down. So Global North Industries, humans and their colonial power structures have created massive crises that now jeopardize the entire world. And in this moment, we desperately need to make massive transformations. It's as important as ever before to be grounded and centered as much as possible while doing this work so we can be immensely intentional and strategic about how we're using our limited time, energy, and resources, minimizing the poison while maximizing the medicinal components of our work, making our impact as good as our intentions. And spirituality can be one of the most powerful aids available to us in staying grounded and true to our capacity to be less oppressive and unjust to the planet, to all the Earth's species, and to other humans too. We need to be spiritually rooted. Yet new cage egoic and commercial pursuits are distractions. We don't have time for this, and we deserve better. Thieves need to stop stealing. So what's the context that enables these messy misunderstandings? For one, neocolonialism and late-stage capitalism, for sure, which can both be immensely confusing. We're surrounded by diversionary campaigns that alter us from the course forward towards collective liberation. And if your upbringing was anything like mine, you may have been raised to give the benefit of the doubt to a fault. Now, I know the benefit of the doubt seems positive. It sounds nice. Why is even to some folks who may have been raised to be fearful or mistrusting, yet we've got to pay attention to context and not just support ideas that may be divorced from our external reality. When you're in a predatory context, the benefit of the doubt can get you killed. We're in a predatory context. Being truthful about that reality isn't negative or pessimistic, it's honest. And if we don't want to be in this predatory of a context, we have to change it, not just be in denial or make things up. 
lots of us uncritically use language from the self-help and new age fields as if that's normal or natural. Our understanding of ourselves, the world, and our role in the world is being sculpted for us. And yet, many of us are complicit also in spreading those forms of storytelling. It's concerning when folks perpetuate this form of storytelling as if it's obvious, as if it's truth, as opposed to one mere form of storytelling among countless ways of understanding, including other forms of storytelling that are more holistic, just, relevant to our ancestral traditions, and realistic. So new cage forms of narrativizing or storytelling can be hyper-individualistic. So in a context like the settler colonial U.S., where rugged individualism is already a deadly bedrock of this society, we're being doused in even more of that bias at the expense of other possibilities, like seeing the world more collectively. Like, maybe it's not all about you or me. Are you starting to see how political this new cage mythology is? And on that note, do you observe how seemingly apolitical the new cage is? Same with the related fields of self-help. Well, here's the thing. There's no such thing as apolitical. What fronts as apolitical, allegedly neutral, like that's possible, not taking sides, it typically sides with the oppressive status quo. So with that context in mind, why is it important for us to critique New Cage lies? For a number of reasons. First, for the sake of wisdom, knowledge, and having some integrity and humility in how we learn. So many of the messes we're in societally could be ameliorated if only folks had some healthier skepticism, a little more critical thought, and a more refined bullshit meter. There's not much emphasis on vetting knowledge in this society. For example, many folks read or consume just about any thought piece they find on the internet without necessarily checking to see if the source is credible. Many people presume that wisdom is Googleable without even pausing to reflect to see if that makes sense at all. This can yield deadly results. Secondly, it's important for us to be able to perceive the new cage lies to end the distortions of spiritual bypassing, spiritual materialism, and the fakeness, phoniness, and fraudulence that's often encountered on paths towards learning about spirit and healing. So I want to see if I can pull up a quote for you. I don't know if it's going to be the right one. Let's see. Uh, Let's see. Yes. Uh, so I hope that's the one. Let's see what we have here. So what on earth is spiritual bypassing? John Wellwood defined it as the following, quote, spiritual ideas and practices getting used to sidestep personal, emotional, quote, unfinished business, end quote, to shore up a shaky sense of self or to belittle basic needs, 
feelings and developmental tasks, end quote. So this is, right, admittedly quite a sort of psychologically oriented take. Of course, you know, we're going to talk more about political economy and so many of the other, right, facets that make spiritual bypassing the pervasive challenge that it is in the U.S. today. So my grandma, for example, was scammed by pyramid schemes, by multi-level marketing schemes like Melaleuca for my entire childhood. So spending countless dollars on consumer products promising healing and all at the expense of actual healing. So here was an impoverished single mom who sincerely wanted to improve her condition for herself and her family over the course of her life. She may not have had access to effective employment opportunities, and she wasn't institutionally well-educated. And it's exactly poor, vulnerable folks that so much of the New Age industry preys upon. Perhaps you also have a loved one that's devoted precious time, energy, and or money and the pursuit of healing that's ended up getting scammed. When folks are in crisis, this can be deadly. I wish that my grandma had space to unlearn that hyper-individualistic kind of consumerism and to unlearn the optimistic naivete that was preyed upon by salespeople profiteering off of the desperation of poor women in search of change. And speaking of which, here's an invitation to reflect. So in self-proclaimed spiritual, end quote, healing, quote, end quote, and new cage spaces, have you seen poison being sold as medicine? Let me just pause for a moment so that you can reflect. Can you recall any examples? Feel free to share in the chat if anything is coming up for you around this. And a third reason why it's so important for us to be able to see through New Cage lies is to support folks who want to bring about transformative social change to learn how to do so in ancestrally meaningful, decolonial, and effective ways. So maybe some of you heard about Chiron in Greek mythology or the wounded healer archetype often attributed to Carl Jung, and you recognized that you may be wounded in certain ways. So then you assumed maybe that meant that you were a healer or destined to be a healer. And before actually taking steps to heal, you might have started advertising yourself accordingly as a healer, curandera, practitioner of, quote, shamanic arts, end quote, bruja, oracle, yoga teacher, or something else in this ballpark. Maybe without even understanding how healers were designated in your own ancestral traditions, right? Natasha sharing, putting a giant crystal in your vajayjay will just automatically heal all your sexual trauma. Precisely, Natasha, right? So this is a classic, right? Horrifying example of that kind of spiritual bypassing. So kind of, right, just getting into this, right, 
esoterica fetish, pun mildly intended here, and yet with devastating consequences because it's not actually making space for folks to do, right, some of the trauma resolution that is likely available to us. And how would we know if we didn't actually make a good faith effort that didn't get diverted by these kinds of diversionary campaigns, right? And especially if folks don't know how knowledge and wisdom was passed down through our lineages, especially before being drastically changed through financialization, right? Inbal also sharing, yes, coaches who sell marketing instead of actual services, right? Felicia sharing totally, especially with multi-level marketing and quote business and quote coaches to be sure it's pernicious within so many of these different industries. So when our families and communities are in crisis, as so many are right now, we've got to intervene when other community members are acting like charlatans, when they could have otherwise had humility and be supporting the transformative social change so needed in the world today. We rise production sharing, I see so many people just out of some kind of healing, quote, training, end quote, and quote, certification, end quote, already leading their own classes, workshops, trainings, exactly, it's horrifying. Now, I know the lack of humility I'm naming flies in the face of cultural protocol. And moving back more broadly, this whole mess can seem hilarious and ridiculous to lots of y'all who are not in California or other subcultural spaces where the stuff actually happens. But let me tell you, it is a thing that is alive and well in plenty of spaces and millions of people actually eat this stuff up. Yet I know that so many of us are sincerely trying to show up to this moment with integrity and making our ancestors proud. So let's do a whole lot of unpacking here, right? We've got to unlearn new cage lies to be able to defend the sacred, including, right, uh, how people do and don't understand that in these ways that get manipulated by industry. It's already fraught language for us to be invoking in English. Spirituality's gotten an embarrassingly bad rap in the U.S., particularly due to this kind of shallow and superficial consumerism, which is closely related to spiritual materialism, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. So I can certainly share a little bit here personally. It's unacceptable if you ask me for the sacred to be discredited as unintelligent because of some business owners hippies and new agers giving mostly BIPOC ancestral traditions a bad name. So to be sure, the degradation of the divine in the U.S. is much more complex than solely being about spiritualists who don't care about critical thinking lowering the bar. Yet this is significant. And on that aside, there's a rich and important history here. Delving into this inquiry poses all sorts of questions. So why do people associate yoga with fancy pants? Or Reiki with the book The Secret? Or plant medicine, quote unquote, with retreats? Any idea around that? 
all of these legitimate traditions getting all tangled up with commercial products. We've got to delve deeply into these kinds of questions to unpack the conflations that have many people seeking change, but then getting stuck with variants of the same old, same old business as usual that's harming us to begin with. And finally, we've got to unlearn new cage lies to be able to heal the fragmentation of ourselves that's perpetuated by new cage disinformation campaigns. In ball sharing, it's easy to consume, absolutely. So I've seen so many intelligent folks deeply divorced from what gets called sacred in English partially because they see allegedly spiritual folks acting so antagonistically towards critical thinking and intelligence. And on the flip side of that equation, I've seen countless folks who see themselves as into metaphysics totally eschewing critical thinking because they've bought into that Cartesian dualism, this presumed mind-body split, and as opposed to unlearning that false dichotomy, what do they do? They were reactionary and they flipped it. So you can see this in phrases like, quote, the longest journey in the world is from the head to the heart. Have you ever heard anyone say something like that before? And actually thinking that those kinds of cliches are deep. There's a lot to delve into here. You see how that wasn't right interrogating the binary, it was just flipping it. And you see how that's problematic and not even scratching the surface of us getting out of these limiting paradigms, right? It's almost just like the inverse, but still similarly problematic. And so in the name of humility, it's necessary to share that folks have been doing the work of calling out the fraudulence of the new cage and, right, again, very related self-help fields since their inception. A ton of materials that we're going to get into around that later in the season, actually. And around that, what have we thought of, right, helping, quote unquote, ourselves, quote unquote, in the U.S. for the past half century as more about liberation than helping and more about a collective than an individualistic self? What if this, all this energy, billions of dollars, lifetimes devoted to this diversionary campaign, what if instead of getting siphoned off into an industry, right, all of that was channeled into a social movement? You know, less capitalist new cage industry, more honest about our white supremacist, cis-heteropatriarchal, imperialist, capitalist, neo-colonial reality. Less Freud, more Fanon. I dare you to imagine how transformed our lives could be. And around this, John Trudell has so famously said that, quote, intelligence is our medicine, it's our protection, it's our self-defense, end quote. And, quote, the real battleground has to do with the intelligence to alter the perception of reality, end quote. Furthermore, he said, quote, using our intelligence as intelligently as we can is how we show respect to our creator, end quote. So here's one of the leaders of the American Indian movement 
clearly naming the cultivation and practice of intelligence as an ultimate devotion to our creator. I could continue. This is one of the most consistent motifs over the course of decades of his lifetime and activism from right supporting right the reoccupation, the taking back of Alcatraz Island up through his death in the 2000s. Right, him saying that one of the ultimate casualties of the colonial war is people being afraid to think. Right, him saying, quote, we have to out think what it is that we're challenged by or that oppresses us. It's that simple, end quote, right? And saying, quote, the first act of being free and liberation is the act of taking our intelligence back, taking our imagination back, our ability to think. That is the first act of conscious liberation, the first steps towards respect for the creator, end quote. And when he's talking about colonizers, what does he say we need to do? Quote, outthink them, end quote, right? What does he say? Quote, our relationship to power is connected to our relationship with clear, coherent thinking, end quote. I could go on, but I imagine y'all get the idea just with, right, those few quotes, right, of so many more that we could get into. Natasha sharing beautiful, right? So in stark contrast, how is it that one of the most anti-intellectual trends in the settler colonial U.S. from the past 50 years has been the new cage, yet its consumers typically associate it with spirituality? How tragic and unnecessary. So let's have some respect for the power of spirituality like Trudell encourages us to by disentangling it from these insultingly commercialized distortions. Why let our ancestral wisdom continue to get tainted by marketing manipulation? In the settler colonial U.S., spirituality is widely associated with anti-intellectualism due to this tragic conflation with the New Cage PSYOP. What a massive con job. Sloppy generalizations, a lack of vetting sources, and the entitlement of rape culture have coalesced into a deadly market of half-truths that ensnare millions of our loved ones. Akira Ortiz sharing, yes, the respect. I understand that. Let's unpack how those opportunistic scams get perpetuated and how we can stop that bypassing so folks can reconnect with power and with our potential. Like, for example, when it comes to some generalizations we're going to unpack shortly, you might hear in some new cage languaging things like, everybody just needs to love themselves more. Have you ever heard people generalize like that? But when new cagers are generalizing like that, do they even know who they're in dialogue with? If not, how can they possibly justify that kind of fluff? Some of us love ourselves deeply, whatever that means, and we still have to deal with capitalism. We still might not have fair housing, self-determination, sovereignty, a safe work environment, 
accessible child care. You still might not have your land back from the settlers currently colonizing it. You'll get the idea. Assuming that everyone has the same concern is arrogant and lacking in humility. It lacks historical awareness. It lacks cultural awareness. We don't all have the same concerns. Billions of people really all just preoccupied in the same kind of way. That's embarrassingly sloppy. Why grossly generalize when we could deepen our understanding and share something even more powerful with each other? Such ignorant cliches. What, if I love myself more, I'll never have to deal with sexism again or homophobia or colonialism? All right, that doesn't work, as more people give thanks are waking up to every day. Unfortunately, in this kind of soundbite culture, where people try to condense philosophies to a tweetable number of characters, we see these kinds of bumper sticker platitudes and trite cliches. They're thrown about all too often. So this is like Lauren Hill in her untitled album when she talks about some people's entire worldview being paper thin. Felicia sharing the focus on loving oneself is a sad substitute for real change. You can say that again, Felicia. And so often we see that it's not even like people are making a good faith effort to discern between those two options because the real change option is just totally invisible by this advertising echo chamber, right? So in that sense, it's not even consensual because in so many of these echo chambers, people aren't even presented with viable alternative options to consider. So when a personal philosophy is just strewn together via mildly inspiring memes thrown in combination, the problem is that simplistic and it's not nuanced. That lack of rigor can cause epic distortions. And on that front, here's an invitation for another little bit of inquiry. So I'm curious to know for y'all, how have capitalism, commercialism, and or money impacted your understanding of spirituality and healing traditions. Heidi Howe's sharing echo chamber is right. This is super relevant because millions of people's lives are centrally informed by their take on spirituality, religion, faith, and belief. This includes, by the way, self-proclaimed atheists, secularists and market fundamentalists also, right? Market fundamentalists, like people who worship money, that's their religion. How about we just pause for a moment to consider? And if you do have any idea, you know, you're welcome to share it in the chat. So this is often called spiritual materialism. And spiritual materialism is absolutely a staple of new cage lies. So like the infamous book cutting through spiritual materialism names, quote, the problem is that ego can convert anything to its own use, even spirituality. 
Ego is constantly attempting to acquire and apply the teachings of spirituality for its own benefit. The teachings are treated as an external thing, external to me, quote, end quote, a philosophy which we try to imitate. We don't actually want to identify with or become the teachings. So if our teacher speaks of renunciation of ego, we attempt to mimic renunciation of ego. We go through the motions and make the appropriate gestures, but really we don't want to sacrifice any part of our way of life. We become skillful actors. Have any of y'all seen that before? And Chagyam Trumpa continues with this quote, if we regard knowing as an antique, as, quote, ancient wisdom, end quote, to be collected, then we are on the wrong path. Isn't that interesting? And I wouldn't be surprised if many of y'all have seen exactly this approach in new cage spaces, the collection of, quote, ancient wisdom, end quote. Like, for example, have you ever seen people that say that they're a yoga teacher and a Reiki practitioner, quote, end quote? Like, if you wanted to attempt to begin to learn about yoga, that would be something that you would do for the entirety of a lifetime. This isn't a buffet, right? Again, for people who have rigor, people who are serious about study. And yet, this is something that, again, in the new cage scene, people actually think they're impressive if they're like, I'm a shaman and a yoga teacher. Because if you're just surrounded by other charlatans and other people who are confused, then you might not ever get called out on that. And so we can also, right, see some of this strange kind of fetishizing of the ancient, right, or of the esoteric in a way that's really devoid of context, getting named in Dr. Leanne Betasamosake Simpson's 2010 book, Nupaming, The Cure for White Ladies, when she says, quote, everyone always thinks the ancestors have all the answers, but sometimes, most times, it takes more. End quote. So I really encourage us, if y'all are in any spaces where people do that, like fetishizing, right, ancestral veneration, but when they're not attending to the most basic injustices in their life, right, to really just notice that. I'm curious to get a sense of, right, if any of y'all have seen any of this in your lives. And Akira Ortiz sharing, right, like if I read enough books or take enough trainings and get enough certificates, exactly. Uh, and so, right, what are some of the underlining causes for this new cage psyop? Well, first off, millions of people in the settler colonial U.S. still romanticize colonialism to such an extreme that they can see the most classic repackaged Tales of colonialism that go back centuries, such as the movies Seven Years in Tibet or Eat, Pray, Love. And instead of being horrified at how this racist, extractive propaganda is still socially acceptable, how do new cagers respond? I want to go to India because I'm spiritual. So selfish, confused people literally 
still find it alluring to exoticize in this way that's flagrantly ignorant of their colonial and capitalist harm. For example, in a 2019 Washington Post article, you can see here titled, Mount Everest is Full of Garbage. A cleanup crew just hauled off 24,000 pounds of waste. The impact and the harmful consequence on the world of these selfish new cagers is real, even if they try to ignore it or even if they're in denial. So just like with the horrifically harmful tourist industrial complex in Hawaii and so many other places, and so often that new cagers try to go to for fancy retreats to find themselves when they're confused. So new cagers don't take their feces home with them. They leave behind shit, trash, and an extension of the centuries-old colonialism that decent people are actually trying to resolve right now. And this also, by the way, turns those of us who are exoticized and whose traditions are bastardized and stolen into civilizational healers for colonizers and other confused people. So what's one of the second components that's a sort of underlying bedrock, right, that these new cage lies bank off of? Speciesism, actually. So I want to talk about sharks and hawks for a minute. So I remember back on my 29th birthday, I was swimming on the north shore of Oahu, where I was living at the time, and saw a whole bunch of sharks that scientists call Galapagos sharks, even though it's not in the Galapagos. Um, and I told a friend of mine at the time, right, about this experience, and she asked me what messages the sharks had for me. And I explained to her, oh, no, I literally was in a place that's their home. They were eating, they were swimming, they were living their life. It wasn't about me. It's not all about me. And her response was, and let me know if you've ever heard anything like this, maybe if you take a little more time, you'll realize the message they had for you. With an air of presumed wisdom, this is somebody that's never even been to the Hawaiian archipelago, isn't even ancestrally connected to Oceania, and utterly oblivious to what complete speciesist trash that is, right? What is anthropocentrism, centrism like centeredness, anthro like humans, centering humans, right? Or human centeredness, we could say, breaking down that jargon, or speciesism, right? Humans acting like it's all about us when we're literally in a biome that is not only about humans, where there are other species that are living, that are doing their thing, that are not solely spiritual messengers for humans to be able to have a special story about, to tell their friends about, right? And so this is the kind of poison that a mind vomits up when you've been reading New Age websites more than connecting with elders on the earth. And, right, this is something that's sensitive to acknowledge, but it also really merits noticing. So this person was overwhelmingly born and raised in an urban area, and 
I happen to have had the miraculous experience of spending significant time outdoors with the opportunities to observe non-human animals and plants over the course of my entire life, principally practicing social distancing for my entire life to get away from oppressive humans. Uh, and so there's also really something to be said for humility on that front. So for the rest of y'all's lives, if you ever hear people really sloppily engaging in interpretation of animal behavior like that, and you know that they're born and raised in a city and they don't even spend time on the land base with the species that they were sloppily, right, or cavalierly talking about like that, that's super important for us to observe. And I could share a second, right, story around that bringing in hawks, right? So I was in a situation once where I heard someone who was trying to make an argument to a group of people. And as she was trying to make this argument, a hawk flew overhead and she legit with no shame in her game was like, you see that hawk exactly proves my point there. Like legit? using a hawk sighting as if it was about proving her point. How egoic and speciesist. And one of the morals of the story is here, if you haven't unlearned speciesism, and other forms of oppression in the 3D, your interpretation of animal signs and symbols will likely be opportunistic and wrong. Writing in the margin sharing, as someone of Chinese heritage, I've been struggling to filter through capitalized versions of traditional Chinese spiritual practices and medicine, especially about the concept of yin yang. You can say that again. And the thing is, right, so many people in the US, whether it's if they are not Chinese, if they are not Asian, they will just appropriate from the so-called Orient, whether it's India, whether it's Tibet, South Asia more broadly, China more broadly, and especially if they've never even talked with people from that place, if they're not even fluent in the languages of the traditions that they're allegedly experts in, let alone even students in, then millions of these people never even get called out, right? It's like there are, what, less than one in a hundred people in the settler colonial U.S. are Indian. So, of course, people are making shit up about yoga and Ayurveda, and they're likely to never get called out. And so, yeah, this is something also that for anyone who cares about knowing what you're talking about, that's utterly fraught and problematic, right? And so in case any of y'all haven't seen this amazing animated short film called 13 Things I Learned at Kaha Olave, put out by The Pinky Show, I'd really like to encourage you to check that out. Because, right, for those of you that have taken my Decolonizing the Mind class, you might remember this. I've shared it in some other settings, too. But what is one of the things that Pinky said that they learned when they were on the Hawaiian island of Kaho'olawe? They said, quote, if you don't know the history, culture, context of a place, and you tell some story about it, here's what happens. It may be interesting or not but it's probably gonna be wrong. So again, for those of us that understand, right, that knowing is place-based, right, it's colonizers that are like, universalisms are real. And by the way, what I said, it's universal, but all the rest of y'all, you're subjective, right? Again, if you don't know the history, culture, context of a place, and you tell some story about it, 
here's what happens. It may be interesting or not, but it's probably gonna be wrong. And I bring that up because in the instance of someone that was right, trying to make an argument, and then they were like, look, a hawk, you see that proves I'm right. So one of the things that it's so embarrassing to have to even say this, because how shameless of that kind of opportunism and speciesism that I intervened actually, because people, right, were being, right, deceived in this way in front of me that I cared about. And so I shared, just so you know, I know that you're not familiar with this area, but you see over there, a whole bunch of hawks live over there. And for those of us that have spent some time on this land base, we see this all the time. Like that hawk that you're looking at, it's probably it's lunchtime, AKA it's not all about you, right? And again, it's so tragic to have to even say some of these kinds of things because for those of us that do take humility seriously, it's astonishing to imagine that somebody would be that shameless and opportunistic. Uh, and so, right, we've really got to be on the lookout for speciesism in these new cage spaces where people quite often writing from cities that don't have a relationship, right, with other biomes can really just cherry pick in these opportunistic, right, human-centered ways. So a third component of the underlying bedrock of the new cage psyop is gross universalizing. So have you ever seen new cage memes that generalize by saying things like, everybody needs to fill in the blank? And it's typically expressions by vampires and not the people that they're extracting from, right? And so even that on itself, if somebody's not checking their social location or their positionality, and they're just issuing these blanket writs for billions of people throughout the planet, right, that can be astoundingly harmful, especially for people that are not coming from the vantage point or the perspective of the person that's so sloppily universalizing. So tons of people, right, really get swept up in that, again, thinking that a philosophy can be encapsulated in a meme or in a tweetable quote. So I really want to invite y'all's attention on that front. And a fourth cause of the new cage psyop is that we know places like the U.S. don't value education. So tons of people will literally call themselves teachers without any qualifications at all whatsoever, or say they have a background in education without having worked in that field. So hopefully we'd be less likely to see that kind of quackery when it comes to people alleging to be dentists or architects or in other professions, yet thousands and thousands of people authorize themselves as educators without any of the requisite training. And so a consequence of this is that the new cage PSYOP relies on consumers not vetting who and what they're letting into their consciousness, which can be mind-blowing, I'm afraid. So some folks, when it comes to other areas of their life, would definitely practice discernment. So for example, they might not put anything into their mouth and ingest it without checking first to make sure that it's edible, right? Or they might not immediately connect with someone in a certain capacity without pausing to see if it makes sense for them to check in with themselves. And yet within the new cage industry, any attempt to discern if somebody is a real teacher can be shallow at best. 
So maybe someone relies on their lived experience as their source of expertise, right? This is something that you see come up in a lot of feminist literature, right? Historically going back decades, if not centuries, in a way that was a very important intervention at the time and still is in a lot of spaces. Yet the thing is, which for those of us that have been engaged in that kind of feminist intervention, we know lived experience can be super insufficient, right? I mean, we say this with the, or we see this with the kind of, right, tokenizing that's taking place as, right, in the settler colonial electoral space, Biden, right, is practicing within his cabinet picks right now, where there are so many firsts, right? First Latinx person, right? First woman in this position. But the thing is, just your identity without substance, right, can be cosmetic. And that can get weaponized in dangerously anti-intellectual ways. For example, we'll regularly see, say, 20-something-year-old middle-class white girls in the U.S. who only speak English literally saying that they have invented new forms of yoga and they can get celebrated, right, in horrifically clueless Eurocentric echo chambers. And instead of being laughed into their next lifetime at what terrifying arrogance that is that they just demonstrated, right, if they say that something worked for them, that low bar can seem to convince a lot of people who don't have a critique of anecdata or using anecdotes for data without recognizing that they're not necessarily generalizable like we were just getting into. So a lot of right folks that are being opportunistic in the new cage industry will actually co-opt the wonderful suspicion of authority figures that many people have that deserves to be uplifted potentially. As in, they'll actually point to their lack of credentials as a way to bolster their perceived legitimacy. Have you ever seen this happen? Now, y'all have heard me share plenty about my critiques of the academic industrial complex, and as a former academic with three graduate degrees who's worked in adult education for my entire career across multiple universities. But I'll tell you, it has been horrifying to see opportunists co-opt critiques of academia to justify them not even trying to know what they're talking about. And so you can see here a 2016 NPR article wanting to support discernment around fake news advocates reading about us sections on websites really carefully. They say, quote, most sites will have a lot of information about the news outlet, the company that runs it, members of leadership, and the mission and ethics statement behind an organization. The language used here is straightforward. If it's melodramatic and seems overblown, you should be skeptical. Also, you should be able to find out more information about the organization's leaders in places other than the site, end quote. 
And so I bring this up here because the same can be said when people are trying to vet, say, teachers or authors or self-proclaimed thought leaders within the new cage industry. So again, what did NPR say, right? If you see melodramatic language, right, that seems overblown, you should be skeptical. So I could say, right, for example, having looked at the websites of hundreds of academics, right, or scholars at this point in my life, you'll see, right, a CV or an academic resume. So people will show, right, where they got their degrees. People will show their publications. People will show their conference presentations at annual meetings of their professional associations and so on and so forth, right? So when you look to to write scholars who are experts, you won't see what was that that NPR said, melodramatic or overblown language. And that is something, again, that experts would be very skeptical about, exactly like NPR was just warning us about. So that might be an example of, have any of y'all ever been on, say, a business person's website and they're talking about their feelings, right? Or they're talking about, right, their visions, but it's all fluff. It's immaterial. It's not actually related to qualifications. And so the thing is around that, we can gauge for ourselves what we want to do with that observation. However, I would sincerely encourage us to observe accordingly. So then we've got the relevant information moving forward and we can engage in whatever kind of decision making process is best for us. And so the 2016 Maori text, Wayfinding Leadership, Groundbreaking Wisdom for Developing Leaders, right, gets into one of the most beautiful examples of expertise that I have ever seen in writing in my life. And the thing is, expertise, leadership, and eldership are real, in Western political philosophies, like anarchism, for example, many people can actually fail to recognize the culturally relevant right, role of legit leadership within plenty of our traditions. And so again, maybe as you're gauging within your life what you perceive to be trustworthy. I, for example, am particularly curious about this sort of nexus between people that have academic expertise, right, that have activist experience and lived experience, right? And so this is something that for so many of the folks, right, that I trust most in the world personally on a variety of topics, right, they embody, right, that intersection of those three, right? They've got the academic credentials, they've got skin in the game as activists, right, with a demonstrated track record, right, and they have lived experience to be able to know what they're talking about in a way that a scholar might not necessarily. So moving forward for the rest of y'all's lives, right, if you're looking to people in that new age industry that are positioning themselves as thought leaders, right, I really encourage you to see for yourself, right, what might be that kind of litmus test that you want to look to. And I could share a fifth major, right, sort of foundational bedrock, right, that the new cage PSYOP is contingent upon, 
of course, is cultural appropriation, right, or spiritual theft. And so around that, many business people who are being deceitful will actually steal or co-opt the language of decolonization. Have any of you all seen people kind of try to appropriate that? Um, and so that's really something to be on the lookout for. Um, and so here it's important for us to acknowledge, right, the connection to white supremacy. So say if the only people in society who are talking about a positive white identity are white supremacists, then I would argue other white folks have a responsibility to share with white youth a white identity that's not annihilationist, to write that's not rapey, that's not terroristic. Uh, and that's not going to happen unless they stop playing Indian, right, or messing with other people's traditions. Um, we've also, of course, got to contend with right, the sort of lack of cultural humility and the deadly arrogance right, that is so pernicious within this industry. Right? And this is so ungrounding that even BIPOC steal from other BIPOC, right? so that internalized white terroristic capitalist rape culture is that deep. Take, for example, BIPOC who aren't South Asian and even have the audacity to call themselves, say, yoga teachers, quote unquote. If they cared about anything South Asian, they could be advocating that the UK return the trillions of dollars that were stolen during the period of colonialism, and that is, of course, before the accrual of interest, as a process of starting decolonial reparations, not just pillaging further and calling it conscious because white vampires and brownface gave them a bad example. So most, if not all, new cage trash is intended for Eurocentric audiences and consumers, people who don't critically think about decolonization. So we've got to account for how the white gaze distorts practically everything in those spaces. And by the way, this absolutely also applies to BIPOC tokens in the new cage. So you can ask, how much has Eurocentric audiences and or clientele, aka the white gays, impacted what BIPOC tokens share and what they don't, how they share and how they don't share? Also, it is just heartbreaking that so many BIPOC native informants are setting a bad example of being tokenized for all of the rest of us to be influenced by. Did you know that you can refuse to share? That you can say no? That you can set your own cultural boundaries? So for anyone who's been influenced by BIPOC wannabe thought leaders setting those tokenizing examples of pandering to Eurocentrism, I encourage you to learn more about collective self-determination. And now you know that it's enormously concerning to see disproportionate attention on white women, right, when it comes to BIPOC tokens within this space. This is very common on social media. I'll bet some of y'all might have seen this. And especially when it's BIPOC catering to them. Why might that be? 
So certainly, right, BIPOC women, right, can sometimes monetize white guilt. And as a class, white women, right, disproportionately are more likely to have money. And so if you're a person of color and feeling that bad example around us to cater to a white or to a Eurocentric gaze, I encourage you to remember the following. Third world and fourth world solidarities, like BIPOC solidarities within our communities, will get us free, not appealing to the benevolence of white people or taking money from white people or letting our voice and self be influenced by catering to colonialism. And all this emphasis on white women as an aside totally lets other white folks off the hook. We could be curious to ask ourselves, what might that be about? And so it's already just about time for us to begin wrapping up. Of course, there is so much more to get into at another time. Uh, but in short, the planet is on fire and people can do better and have some respect for our potential. So to be continued around that, when we talk about the power of feelings on Saturday. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. If you feel like some of these musings might be beneficial to anyone, I strongly encourage you to share them out. If you're open to or able to kick down any kind of financial offering to be able to keep this insurgent education going. That would be absolutely rad, right, via Patreon or PayPal. Thank you for your consideration. And please don't plagiarize. So I encourage you to cite your sources if y'all, right, decide to share any of this out. Thank you all so much for listening, and I cannot wait to do some seating with y'all on Saturday. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Feral Visions, a decolonial feminist podcast brought to you by Liberation Spring. I've been your host, Anjali Nathupadia, and I thank you for listening. I'm also curious to know what this dialogue evoked for you. I invite you to post your reflections and questions in the comments section below to continue our collective journey of unlearning, remembering, and imagining. If you want to share feedback, such as segment ideas or potential guests you'd like to hear on the show, email liberationspring at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow Feral Visions on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can find our show archive. If you'd like more information on this show's topic or to donate to the project, check out liberationspring.com. Thanks to Catherine Petru and Nicole Gervasio of our technical production team and Climbing Poetry for our theme song. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode. And in the meantime, let's make our ancestors proud. The power of the people is louder than the evil. Deceitful and coward, people in power. Our power to the people is the hour of the peaceful. Freedom is ours, yeah. Freedom is ours. Freedom is ours.